Uh, Homer Hickam was a boy from West Virginia. He loved science and math as much as every little boy from West Virginia. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it uh, was a complete waste of time. Why should he learn anything? He knew what his life involved. He was going to work in the coal mine, just like his daddy did, just like his granddaddy did, just like he always had known from the time he was old enough to see his dad go to work. He was going to work in the coal mine. That's the only reason why his town existed. And so school in general, and math and science particularly, were a ultimate waste of time, a puzzle that could not be solved, confusion incarnate, useless and irrelevant. Until one October night, he sat out under the stars and he saw Sputnik come flying over. And something awakened inside of him. And he came to school the next day and he was so excited to tell his teacher Miss Riley about it and she said that's what I've been trying to tell you Homer that's what science is that's what math is math isn't puzzles that have to be solved it's not irrelevant it's rockets it's cars it's it's ships it is the the, the key to life and if if you want out of here Homer If you want to do those things, it starts here. And math for him was never the same. The the doors were opened. It was never the same. It's condensation, and it's never going to stop dripping on you. So uh, you can move if you want. It won't bother me. I'm sorry. But uh, our roof uh, has condensation this time of year. And so if it's dripping on you, the only thing you can do is move. It's... It's never going to stop. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Move. Um, now, let's go back to Homer Hickam. Why do I tell you all that? The, the average person, the mo- most people, when they see the law of God, they see rules. They see an obstacle course. They see um, the, the hardest obstacle course in the world. It's like... Um, you know, Wipeout. You're, you're, you have no idea if you've never seen the NBC show Wipeout. People are just kind of running along beside this great big cushion, and they think the challenge is to stay on this little bridge until a huge boxing glove comes out of nowhere and knocks them off the bridge, and they realize, oh, I was supposed to be avoiding the boxing glove. No one ever told me. That's what the law of God's like. Oh, I don't, all I have to do is not murder? I think I can not murder. I think I can not kill. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, you can't be angry. What? That's not fair. Bam, knocks, boxing glove, knocks us off the bridge. It's, it's hard. It's exacting. It's exhausting. It's abstract. The law of God is terrible. And, and what I want you to see today, the Apostle Paul answers the question, why did God give us the law? And, and I want you to see that it's actually, it's the doorway. It is the path to glory. But it doesn't happen the way you think. It's like math. It opens up everything. It opens up the universe. The law of God opens up the heart of God. But it doesn't happen the way you think. It doesn't come by following it perfectly. It comes by failing. In realizing the depth of the failure. The law of God has not done its work in your heart. 
until you know the joy and the beauty and the glory of being daughters of God and sons of God. Please stand as we read this great text. They're all great. But you just have to say it. It's a great text from Galatians chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And it does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, and God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then was the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, and an intermediator, intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned by, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. Amen. As long as you live by effort, as long as you live trying to perfect yourself or your religion or your soul, by your own effort, you're living by law. And the law has not done its job. As long as you're living like that, as long as you're, and it could be any laws, not just God's laws, but the way we kind of take God's laws and make laws for ourselves and, and, and kind of come up with this, this standard that we have to live up to, as long as you're living that way, being judged by your righteousness or failure on a day-in and day-out basis, as long as you're living that way, the law has not done its job. Its job is to present you to God where you can be made into His sons, where you receive grace, where you receive forgiveness. The first thing Paul talks about, he's answering this question. Okay, Paul, you've been telling us for two chapters now what the law is not. What is it? And he says, okay, look, first, it doesn't annul the covenant. Now, you know this, right? There's promises and there's laws. And if something is a promise, you can't come back 430 years later or the next day and say, well, actually... You have to earn it, right? Dads, we always want to do this. We want to be like the good guy who gives things, and we want to be sure that 
you know, our kids earn it so they don't grow up weak. And we want to be sure they don't abuse it after we've given it to them, you know. And so it's like, son, I'm going to get you a car when you turn 16. And then the next day you realize what you've done, and you're like, well, if you make good grades. Wait a minute, Dad, you can't go back on that. That's not very, is it a promise or is it something I earn? Can't be both. Am I earning the, the, the righteousness of God through law? Or am I, is he just giving it to us by grace? Am I just receiving it by faith? It can't be both. And, and, and Paul says, look, Abraham received the promise before the law was ever given. And all the descendants of Abraham received the promise before the 430 years before the law was given. So the law can't be, the purpose of it can't be to earn the promise. It can't be that. The law isn't a, a physical emblem of, of, of being under the promise. And, and this was a real problem in Paul's day, and it's a real problem in our day. People just assumed that since they had the circumcision, they, they'd had kept the law, they were under the law, they were in the community, then they, the promise was going to be theirs. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's not what it's for. It doesn't exist. The, the circumcision wasn't given so that you wouldn't have to believe. And, and in the same way, we treat baptism that way. I remember years and years ago, I was listening to a uh, a man preached. He was from South Africa. I don't remember his name. He was an Anglican bishop in South Africa, and he was preaching in Nashville. And he told this tr- story about this recalcitrant, uh, pretty angry man that he had in his church. And they had had a, a he, he had been preaching the gospel to him for years, and the man was just angry and um, racist and all the things that kind of came along with being a self-righteous person from South Africa and, and, and the pastor kept pleading with him to repent and, and, and the man just wouldn't and then on his deathbed he finally just came to him and he said are you really going to face God with this life of, of bitterness and, and nothing to show nothing in your hands but, but a life of, of pride and the man smiled, and he said, Pastor, if you'll go to my house right now and open my safe, you'll see my baptism certificate. I'm ready to meet the Lord. We still feel that way. We may not be that arrogant about it or that um, precise about it, but the, the feeling that we generally have is if we're in the church and we're good folks and we haven't done anything bad enough to get kicked out of the church, then we're in. And the Apostle Paul says the same thing to us that he said to the Jews. It doesn't matter that you've been baptized. That's not what baptism is for. I mean, it's important, but that's not what it's for. What's, what's it, what matters is you're trusting upon Christ. You still have, it is by faith, it's by faith through grace, not through your works that you're saved. Well then, Paul, if it's not going to get us the promises, if the law doesn't serve this purpose of, of get, receiving these promises and earning God's favor, why did he give it at all? Right? That's what he says here. Why, why did he give the law? 
Uh, and he says it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And then he says this confusing thing about intermediaries and angels and God being one, and nobody knows what that means, so I'm not going to try to explain it. But let's talk about what we do not know. The law was given because of transgressions until the promised one had come. Now what Paul says here about the history of Israel could be said by each of our own each of us individually, actually. It's a beautiful parallel. What is, he, what is he saying? He's saying the law was given to keep Israel a distinct and holy nation until Jesus had come. That's the, the civil use of the law. You see, I mean, a, a small nation of a few hundred people, that's not even a nation. And they didn't have borders, and they didn't have, you know, walls, and, and they needed something to keep them distinct so they didn't just get assimilated into all the other tribes of Canaan. So he gave them these laws. He gave them the ceremonial laws to, to keep them separate. That's why they couldn't eat bacon. The, the Canaanites would always have pork as part of their sacrifices and their feasts and, and to keep them completely separated from that group. And the nations around them, they said, you can't eat pork. And they're like, but it smells so good. I know, don't eat it. It was a test. A test I would have failed daily. It's also why uh, he gave them the moral law. He didn't want them to destroy themselves. You can't be a society that's filled with murder and stealing and adultery. Your your society falls in on itself and collapses on itself. He, he, kinda, he tells us to love each other, but then he tells us how. And that's, that's the purpose of the law, and that's, that's the reason why we raise our children with the law. They don't know it. You don't come into the world knowing it. You don't, you know, you, you see, you feel your sin the very first time you go to somebody else's birthday party. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I didn't even know coveting was a sin. And then right there in Romans 7, he said, until I went to somebody else's birthday party until someone told me that coveting was a sin, right? You go to someone else's birthday. I remember very clearly, um, they're not here, Brundage's uh, like third or fourth birthday. It was the first one where Harold was old enough to realize that presents existed and these weren't for him. And Brundage, being a very careful child, was very slow to open his gifts. And Harold just couldn't stand that and just burst over and just started ripping the paper off. And, and I was like, Harold, that's not for you, but I like gifts, Daddy. I know. We all like gifts, and it's hard to watch somebody else get them. That's coveting. It's, it's, in, it's in our hearts. When we, when we, we, since we come into the world not liking laws like that and wanting everything for us, then we need to be taught the law to keep us, uh, to keep us in line so that we can have so that we can function as a society. That's called the civil use of the law, and it's still important today. But that's not the ultimate purpose. The purpose of the law is to break us. It's to show us that we can never approach God on our own. What does Paul say? Is the law contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law is perfect. It is a good law. 
if righteousness could possibly come, if anybody could earn their way into God's presence by the law, this would be the law they would need to keep. It's great. But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. <laughs> Our hearts was prob- the problem, not the law. We can't do it. And you can just see those tender-hearted Israelites in the Old Testament. And they're just faced with this list of things that make you unclean. And it's, it's some of it's natural, right? When, when a woman comes through a time of the month, it's, it's, she's unclean. If you go hunting and kill a dead animal, touch a, d- a dead animal, you're unclean. All these things that just make you, un- mildew. Come on. I know they didn't have showers. But how are you going to keep mildew out of your house? I'd have to burn my house down every three weeks. You know, if you have mildew in your house, you're unclean. If you get this particular disease, you're unclean. And at some point, every Israelite who ever tried must have thrown up their hands and go, gone, Lord, I can't stay clean. And he said, exactly. Exactly. That's the shame of sin. It's all over us. It comes from the inside of our hearts. And we have thoughts that seem to come from nowhere. And we, we, we say, Lord, Jesus, I mean, it was fine when, when, the, when, the, when the lines were clearly drawn and they were big. And, you know, don't commit adultery. I can keep that one. But you said don't have lustful thoughts in your heart. Don't steal. That's, that's easy, more or less. But... But don't, don't desire what, what your neighbor has. Don't kill. Okay. I won't. I promise. But come on. It's got to be okay for me to want to. He says no. And the law comes deep inside us and we feel dirty. And we want to say to him, who can possibly do this? And he says no one. No one. And we try, and we try, and we can't. And he says, that's right. No one. Have you felt that? I remember the first time I felt it. I was in Nashville. I'd felt it before, but I didn't care. But this one particular summer, I was, I was doing everything right. The summer before, I had a great time. I was at a Christian camp. Uh, but it was a very expensive Christian camp, and, you know, rich kids didn't deserve the gospel. And so this summer, I was in the inner city where, I, where the gospel was needed, right? And I was just, I really was killing myself. I, I worked eight hours a day in the hot sun with these kids, and then when I came home from work, I would shower, and then I'd go pick the same kids up. That I felt like I had to entertain them at night, and Saturdays, I'd take them to the mall, and Sundays, I'd take them to church. And, you know, they didn't really appreciate it. I mean, you know, they were happy to be taken to the mall, and one day, uh, we were playing basketball, and this kid named Stacy, he just stood on my last nerve. I don't even remember what he did. I know that in the middle of the game, he turned and started playing for the other team. And I know that he did that to make me mad. Um, and I had what Shirley McLean describes as an outer body experience. All of a sudden, I was standing next to myself watching myself scream in the face of an 11-year-old boy. Just scream at him. 
and he acted like he was going to punch me, and I begged him to because I wanted to kill him. And I went off into the stairwell, and I cried and I cried. I calmed down. I came back into the gym, and I picked up the basketball, and I hurled it at him. And I started screaming again. And I couldn't stop. And and this was my way of earning my salvation. And I just lost it. And, and for weeks after that, I just kept looking at myself, fasting and praying, and looking at myself going, you? You think you're in Christ? You? And I felt the dirt and the shame and the guilt... And more than that, I just felt the helplessness. That's what the Apostle Paul says in, 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 John, in Romans 7. He describes this, this pathway of, of being convicted by sin. And he says, first we think we're fine, and then we see the law and we die. And we decide, I'm going to keep the law. And this war begins between our, our bodies and the law. And, and, and we want to keep it with our minds, but our hearts were unclean and we can't do it. And we find it to be a law that when I want to do good, the good things I want to do, I can't do them. And the bad things I want to stop doing, I can't stop doing them. And, and it's a law right there in my body, he says, that whenever I seek to do good, evil is right there with me. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin and death? Have you felt that? What does it look like for you? Is your law that you, you're going to have perfect children? And you're going to do everything necessary to make them, to perfect them. A friend of mine walked in from work one afternoon, and uh, he had four, three three girls at that point, and he could hear something going on in the back. He couldn't quite make it out what it was, so he started walking back to figure out what was happening. And on the way, he sees two of his daughters, his two youngest daughters, hiding under their bed. And he he says, "What's going on?" And they go. Mommy, and that's all they're able to say. Mommy. And he goes back into the homeschool room. And as he, he sees his wife with hair stringing down over her face, tears coming out of her eyes, screaming at her daughter, Say the word! She knows her daughter's old enough to read. <laughs> she knows she knows what that word is. Just say the word! And he looks at her and says, Honey, Stop. We're putting them in school tomorrow. You need to go have a little alone time. Right? Her, her idol was the, to perfect her children. That was her law. She didn't need a school. She didn't need help. She had to do it all on her own without any help from anybody, and she couldn't do it. Have you felt that yet? Have you, the holidays, they bring up PTSD as you, as you look back on other holidays when you did everything just right to give your family the perfect holiday experience and they could barely take their eyes off the football game to even notice. And, and, and fights broke out over politics and important things like that. And you're you did everything right and nobody appreciated it and you failed. 
Have you experienced that failure? Have you experienced, have you felt it? If you've felt it, and you've just realized you can't fix this because you're the problem that needs to be fixed, if you have felt that, then the law has fulfilled its purpose and it's brought you to the doorstep of grace. Because it's then, it's right then, that we see the end of the law. It brings you to the right place. It can't open the door for you. Grace opens the door. The law brings you to the door. I want to read this great quote from Martin Luther before I go any further. He says, The principal purpose of the law and its most valuable uh, contribution is to destroy our self-righteousness. As long as a person is not a murderer, adulterer, thief, he would swear that he's righteous. How is God going to humble such a person? By the law. The law is the hammer of death, the thunder of hell, and the lightning of God's wrath to bring down the proud and shameless hypocrites. Us. It's us, right? And it keeps us from from committing the, the, the ultimate tragedy. I'm the only person that God's not going to save. The only person that God won't show his grace to is the person who never asks. It's the person who never asks. And the law makes sure we ask. My wife was listening to a podcast this week about something. I don't know. She listens to podcasts a lot. Um, but in the midst of the story was um, this doctor was being interviewed... And he talked about one woman, a woman who lost both her dad and her husband to COVID. Her husband and her dad died from COVID because they refused to let the hospital administer medicine. This particular medicine, I can't remember how it's pronounced, recidivir or something like that. They were convinced uh, by some talk show host, they were convinced that the only reasons doctors wanted to prescribe that was because they got a $20,000 kickback. And they died refusing to take the medicine that would have saved them. Don't die at the door of God trying to save yourself. Ask Him to open the door. That's what grace is, that's what the gospel is for. That's what the law is for. To bring us to that door so that we feel it. We feel that salvation at the very point where we know we can't save ourselves, where we're brought to the lowest. That's where we need it. And that's exactly where God opens the door and gives it to us. I, I love that, that, that song, Come Boldly to the Throne of Grace. Those of you who feel and know the hell of sin within, come boldly to the throne of grace. The Lord will let you in. The Lord will let you in. A friend of mine described this so perfectly. He's a pastor, and uh, and his church had founded a school, and and the school was doing great. And um, it was about eight or ten years after the founding of it, and and these notes started getting sent home from the headmaster, and uh, one of the school, one of the teachers had found in the junior high grade levels uh, a, a note that it getting, was getting passed around, and it was vile. And no one would tell anybody else who wrote it. And uh, nobody would tell the teacher who, who started it. was going around the school class. She saw people snickering. It was about her. It was racist. It was, it was awful. 
was everything the school taught people not to be. And uh, that night, his son came into his bedroom and said, Dad, I wrote it. And he said, well, what are we going to do? And he said, I have to go to the teacher and apologize tomorrow. And I have to go tell the principal I wrote it. So the next morning they got up and they ate breakfast pretty much in silence and he drove him to school the way he always does and, and he looked at his son and said, do I need to come in with you? He goes, no, I can, I can do this on my own. And, and he grabbed his arm and he started to say the benediction that he said every morning, Lord your God is in your midst. And his son held his hands up and said, no, Dad, not today. Not today. And he said, son... Today is exactly the day you need to hear this. This is the time you need to hear it. This is the time you know that you don't earn this blessing. If you can't hear it today, you can never truly hear it at all. He is mighty to save. He rejoices over you with gladness. He quiets you with his love. And he exalts over you with loud singing. Today's right now in your brokenness he exalts over you with singing and he does for you too he does for you too if you feel it and you know the, the, the hell within don't stay there come come th- boldly to the throne of grace the Lord will let you in this is the place of grace It's a place to know how profoundly you are loved. That's the purpose of the law. To let you know how profoundly God loves you in Christ. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, that's what makes grace amazing. We can't earn it. We've done nothing to deserve it. We've done everything to deserve the opposite of it. yet you invite us to come to you. And so we do.